Does manual treasury management and operations have your crypto business stuck in the slow lane? Scale up and speed ahead with Fireblocks, the number one platform for crypto operations and trading pros that makes custody, settlement, and rebalancing quick and easy. Visit fireblocks.com to learn more. This episode is brought to you by Coinbase Prime, an integrated solution that provides institutional investors with an advanced trading platform, secure custody, and prime services to manage all of their crypto assets in one place. Futuristic companies like Tesla and MicroStrategy have used Coinbase's comprehensive investing platform to execute some of the largest trades in the industry. Learn more by visiting coinbase.com prime to get started today. I'd also like to give a shout out to Cross River. Whether you're a crypto exchange, NFT marketplace, or wallet, Cross River's integrated API-based platform provides the payment solutions you need to grow. A CryptoFin industry award winner and an early partner for companies like Coinbase, Cross River's tech stack supports crypto partners and enables real-time money movement for consumers. Welcome to a new world of crypto-friendly banking at crossriver.com crypto. All opinions expressed by hosts and podcast guests are solely their own opinions and not necessarily those of the blocks. Podcast guests may have taken positions in the assets or other matters discussed in this podcast. This podcast is for informational purposes only and should not be relied upon as a basis for investment decisions. For full terms, visit theblockcrypto.com slash terms dash service. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to The Scoop. I'm your host, Frank Chaparro, editor-at-large at The Block. And joining us today on the other side of the mic, in studio, here in person, is the founder of Magic Eden, my dear friend Zed. How have you been? Yo, what's up, Frank? Thanks for having me, man. I know. This has been a long time coming. I think I've rugged you a few times in the past. I right? feel like I've been chasing you, man. Is yeah. this how it is? Is this how it is to be chasing the famous man? <laughs> well, listen, I think fame is not as impressive as building a company that's got funding lined up from the likes of Paradigm, Sequoia, Solana Ventures, the list goes on. I'll give a little intro to you since you were kind enough to come to the office, head of strategy and business operations at DYDX. That's when we first yeah. met each other. So you were early there. You also headed up product management at Coinbase. So tell us a little bit about how Magic Eden came together. What was the origin story there? Yeah. So this was nine months ago. It's been a crazy. crazy. Absolutely. Because it feels like it was like nine years ago. Yeah. I feel like I spoke to you actually when we first started. Yeah. Uh, around that time, around September, October. But no, the origin story. So basically, I'd been thinking about wanting to start something for a little while. And, you know, the experience at DYDX was amazing because I got to basically see something come from almost nothing, right? And we saw the growth of kind of an industry and we saw effectively like a group of just pure builders over a couple of years very quickly build something that was amazing. And I, I was sort of like addicted to that and wanted to come back to that after having spent some time at Coinbase. And I had a few friends that were also in the same boat. 
so there's four co-founders of Magic Eden. There's myself, Jack, who is our CEO. He was at FTX before Magic Eden. I had been working in crypto as well, was previously at Google. And then Sid and Rex, uh, our other two co-founders, our technical co-founders, they were at Uber Eats for many years running consumer marketplaces. So we kind of just felt that this was the team to start something. And when we all kind of became available, we jumped at the chance. But we'd been using a bunch of Solana products at around Q1, Q2 of last year mm. and had started to get pretty excited about what was happening there. So we spent a lot of time digging in and found that NFTs were were popping off and kind of developed a thesis that, you know, hey, I think we're still really, really early here. And if we can build something that, number one, can cater to the next generation of creators, and number two, build a pretty seamless product experience, we could build something pretty special. But why on Solana? Yeah, so this was actually a pretty intentional decision. We thought pretty long and hard about it. But ultimately, the thing that got us going there was the fact that, man, it, you could enable some pretty nice user experiences. And we're all product guys at the end of the day. And you could actually enable something pretty fast and cheap. And the implication of that is that creators and users are more willing to experiment when that's true, right? There's just a smaller barrier to entry, smaller hurdle there. That was one of the key reasons. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Cheap is a double-edged sword though, right? Sure. In, in as much as you get a bit more nonsense maybe. You know, I can come out as Frank and launch my Frank drop, but then what's going to stop some person to do, if it's cheap enough, Mutant Frank, Bored Frank, Ugly Frank, you know. I would do Mutant Frank. <laughs> <laughs> and you'd, you'd probably make some good money. But that is probably one of the main criticisms, I'd say, of Solana-based NFTs is the barrier to entry is maybe too low. I think, yeah, I think that criticism was pretty common, I think, in especially last year with Solana. And I think it's generally true when there's a new ecosystem, right? The people that come in and try it for the first time generally tend to index on maybe copying something that might already be there. And there definitely was and a And not phase. to say that doesn't happen in Ethereum as well. But. Right, right. And I think in the early days of Solana, we did see a lot more copycat kind of stuff. I think for those who may have been around back then and got turned away and felt like it wasn't, you know, something that was original or interesting, I would encourage them to come back and take a look because there's a pretty burgeoning ecosystem now that we're obviously super, super privileged to be a part of. And what does it look like now that floor prices have come down yeah. in the midst of everything coming down from crypto to equities? Do you see a slowdown in the number of creators who want to create NFTs on Solana through Magic Eden or not yeah. necessarily? So I think actually for us, May was our best ever month, which was kind of surprising given the, the general environment. My best month on Twitter of the year from May. an impression standpoint was May. <sighs> so there's, there might be something a, to it. There's a correlation here. Yeah, between Frank. Solana-based NFTs. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Magic Eden and my Twitter engagement. Oh, God. I don't know whether to be excited or afraid right yeah. now. No, but it's, it's interesting. So volumes certainly have probably come down. I don't have the data in front of me, but let's look at volume and then what metrics maybe outbalance that. Yeah. So I think for us, 
in May, we did around just over 5 million soul in volume. So that was by far our best month, best month ever. Yeah. Um, And I think it was a combination of a few things. One was that there are actually a couple of watershed collections that launched on Solana. So OK Bears is one that actually launched at the end of April, but brought a lot of interest and excitement from many ecosystems. And we actually saw a lot of people from ETH creating Solana wallets for the first time and buying into that collection. What do you think it was about that collection that really captivated people? I think they just had a very real chilled out vibe and they weren't promising to do X or Y, right? Or Z. Or or Z. (laughs) He's done it. Uh, But they, they were pretty real about it. They wanted to create just a fun, chilled community and the artwork was something that resonated with a lot of people. I think as silly as it sounds, you know, people love bears. And also I think the beginning of the bear market kind of played to that a little more. (laughs) Also, incidentally, those guys are Aussies. That's funny. So, I mean, you have your best month ever. Yeah. So I'm sure it wasn't too hard for you to raise. I'm sure investment firms were just licking their chops, trying to find something with a number that, or metrics that were up. So what was it like raising in the midst of these somewhat unsavory market conditions? Obviously you didn't raise this month. This month is really bad, (laughs) but it's not like last month was that amazing. Yeah. Yeah. It was for us. I think we were pretty lucky and fortunate that our business was still doing very, very well. And I think it says a couple of things. One that the investors in general had similar views and strong conviction around the market that we do. And this is something that's a, you know, this is like a 10 year time horizon kind of thing, right? You know, for us, we have always taken that view. And I think despite the ridiculous and amazing traction that I think we've had in the first nine months, still very early days for us. And we have a lot more we want to build. And I think hopefully that plan and that outlook resonated with a lot of investors. And for us, we were lucky to be able to bring on the partners that we were really excited about. So super pumped about it. A lot of people probably think of you guys as like OpenSea, but for Solana. And we can bring in some of the other folks who are eyeing NFT platforms or have already launched NFT platforms, Coinbase being another example. Mm. Do you think the business model is the same? Like, is everyone trying to do the same thing? Or do you envision a future for Magic Eden that is not just people coming on, minting, Mm -hmm. and then bidding, collecting? Mm -hmm. Are there other elements there in the future? For sure. Yeah, I think that's why we started this business. If you look at traditional marketplaces, they've all been very centered around that last mile commerce experience. Everything happens, they do all their research, all their thinking. And then at the end of the day, when they make the decision to buy, they come on and and actually make that purchase or make that sale, right? I think if we are successful, and I hope this is true because this would mean a much more interesting world around NFTs as well, is that we would love to be the place where there's actually many layers on top of the marketplace, right? So not only is this the place where you perform the execution of the transaction, but really all of the discovery, all of the community-based interaction, all the fun social elements that come with NFTs also happen on Magic Eden, right? That's on Mm. the user side. And then I think on the creator side, really 
we want to make it as easy as possible for them to come and experiment with this technology. Yeah. Like how do you create something like an Instagram where you're not really spending money every day Yeah. or buying things every day, Yeah. but you're certainly visiting it. It's a much different experience being on an Instagram than checking your brokerage account or checking your right. checking account, savings account. Right. The, the latter is a shitty experience. Sure. Nobody wants to do it. At least, you know, in this market, I don't. But the more sticky you can make your product and the more desirable you can make it for people to want to constantly be on it, the better you're going to do as a business, most likely. Yeah. And so how do you do that for an NFT platform? You probably make it a little bit more like an Instagram than you do a e-trade account. Yeah, yeah. No, I think the way we think about it is that we don't want to shoehorn, you know, web2 social experiences into the product because that's what's worked in the past, right? The way we think about it is there are probably going to be natural points where there's just larger and more intense network density on the platform around the user journey of NFTs, whether it's research, discovery, analytics, purchase. There's a lot of steps there. And for us, um, I think the pure play implementation of just a, a social feed where people look at images, I'm not sure it necessarily translates exactly into NFTs. Mm. Um, what is it yeah. though? Like even for me, like, like when I think about my experience, I have bought some because I think they're funny and I want to express myself in this new, weird, digitally native Web3 way. But I don't sit on OpenSea aside from just buying them mm. and then maybe exploring buying certain NFTs. But aside from like, come from a market structure background, I'm thinking like pre-trade, post-trade. Yep. Like the pre-trade element of OpenSea makes sense to me. But after I have the NFT, that's really the end of it. Mm. And what I find so interesting about what you're saying is like, how do we keep people engaged after the fact? Mm. How do we keep them on Magic Eden to use the NFT, to engage in a community? Yeah, yeah. Let's unpack it a little bit because I think it's a super interesting topic, right? One thing that we're really interested to explore, and we tried this experiment recently, is around large events that are happening on the, on the marketplace. So we have like a, a product called Launchpad. And it's effectively, we partner with creators to help them drop their collections on Magic Eden. So it's a primary market. Mm -hmm. And we effectively launched a live chat feature where during this two-hour event, all the users in there could just chat, hang out, talk about the collection, talk about whatever they wanted, really. And there was almost 10,000 concurrent users in there at that time for a feature that we didn't even announce. We didn't tell anyone about it. We just kind of soft launched it. And that means it's, there's something there. There's something very primal and, and interesting about you know, these really like event-specific things. The second thing I'll say around this is that it doesn't really have to be about the purchase either mm -hmm. because we have this concept that we talk about a lot internally in the team around immersion. And we want the marketplace to be an immersive experience, right? Today, 
you know, if you look at traditional marketplaces, it's, it's not immersive at all. It's sort of you browse a bit, you like add things to a cart and then you go, right? For us, we want people to effectively feel the value of these things before they actually have to buy anything. And the example that we've created on Magic Eden today is, you know, if you go on Magic Eden, on the side tab, there's a little thing called Eden Games. Mm. It's our gaming vertical. And we want to build deep experiences like that, where you click Eden Games, you browse the best games that are offered on Solana today, and you can play those games right in Magic Eden, right? So why is that cool? It's cool because you don't need to buy anything. You can just go there, start playing, start interacting with other players. And then, you know, you're playing a first person shooter. You realize that you're really bad at the game and you want to maybe level up a weapon. Then you can buy the NFT and it's right there on Magic Eden, right? I know we're trying to distance ourselves a bit from Web 2.0, but that kind of sounds like a Farmville sitting within Facebook. Hmm... Yeah, potentially. Maybe in the early days, that's true. Mm -hmm. And I think that's true only because today a lot of the games on uh, in Web3, at least the ones that are live, are browser-based games, right? Which is the same kind of evolution that we've seen in the past where you know, in, the, in the sort of early 2000s, you saw a lot of these browser flash games, mm -hmm. right? And then, yeah, there, it, obviously a lot of evolution happened, PC, mobile free-to-play, all these things kind of happened over the last 20, 20 years or so. And I think those platforms will still be really relevant, even with crypto as the underlying tech. So uh, yeah, we're pretty pumped. But today, that's just an example of how we think about immersion. And that's just for one category. So hopefully, there's a lot more to build here. And yeah, we're, we're very early on this. I mean, most of the growth and activity with NFTs has been you know, around PFPs. So there's a lot more to come. How do you weather... What could be a two, yeah. three, four? Who knows? Somebody said to me yesterday, eight. Eight years. Eight year. Dude. Well, that's too crazy. Let's. I let's, think that's quite crazy. Let's go. Let's go to two year. Because <laughs> I feel like I mean I was eight a, years pretty crazy. That's like that's like global depression. That's yeah. It's pretty brutal, <laughs> brutal stuff. No, I mean I was around at DYDX. I mean I joined DYDX, you know, around the end of 2017, yeah. and. Yeah, they were some brutal years, actually. And I feel like we won't be at that point because now there's just a lot more people who are building, more users. So I feel like that's just something that this comes with the territory. For us, how we think about it is, I mean, this is why we wanted to raise the round that we just raised. Regardless of what happens in the mm. market, things will move up and down. Could be two years, could be three years, could be four years. I think that's okay. We have a pretty long roadmap we want to execute on. And so long as we have conviction around that long-term, that'll put us in good stead. Mm. How do you think about the financialization of these assets? Mm. Like people, you know, loading up on leverage mm. to sweep a floor mm. and being intertwined with their broader investment, even though we like to think about the benefits it brings to gaming and to creators, people are still speculating on these things, yep. on these assets. So what does risk management look like hmm. from your perspective in terms of ensuring that a given collection doesn't blow up? Is that something you think about? Mm, we don't think about it too much. I mean, I think it's definitely true that like most things in crypto, everything 
initially gets traction because of some economic financial element. I think that's definitely true for NFTs as well. Yeah, obviously our hope as well is that we want to proliferate more of the use cases that have other types of utility. And I think that will generally happen over some time. In terms of just risk management in general, I think, yeah, it, it is quite hard for folks that are trading this stuff to actually employ good risk management or risk mm. mitigation. It's either you're long or you're, or you're not. There's not really a whole lot of, I think, hedging. I think there is a lot of fractionalization, not a lot, maybe a little bit, that some platforms and protocols are experimenting with. But it makes sense because, I mean, maybe even the premise of my question was wrong because they're less like a financial instrument, like a derivative or a stock than they are like a Monet mm -hmm. or mm -hmm. a... It's, uh, like a, it's like a more tradable Monet, you know? It's, yeah. yeah. I do think if you're trying to use this stuff to replicate some financial product, it's probably not the right way to go about it, in my opinion, at least not right now. Maybe NFTs will be used for this kind of stuff at some point. It's really hard to say, but I would say it's pretty naive on that front today. Yeah. How would you even hedge a Monet? <laughs> I don't think that's a thing. I'm not sure you could. You're just rich enough that doesn't matter. Yeah. Long only when you're that rich. <laughs> that's the goal. Having trouble keeping pace with the crypto boom? When your business is scaling up and your portfolio is growing, you don't want to waste precious time on manual treasury management or settling in rebalancing. Fireblocks can handle that for you with smart, scalable solutions for your crypto business, along with industry-leading security and expertise. They'll take care of the back end so you can focus on the big picture. Visit fireblocks.com to learn more. This episode is brought to you by Coinbase Prime, an integrated solution that provides institutional investors with an advanced trading platform, secure custody, and prime services to manage all their crypto assets in one place. Coinbase Prime fully integrates crypto trading and custody on a single platform and gives clients the best all-in pricing in their network using their proprietary smart order router and algorithmic execution. Futuristic companies like Tesla and MicroStrategy have already used Coinbase's comprehensive investing platform to execute some of the largest trades in the industry. Build a unified investment portfolio with one of the most trusted names in crypto. Learn more by visiting coinbase.com prime to get started today. This episode is brought to you by Cross River. Building the next big thing in crypto? Then it's time to get your fiat on and off ramp solution from Cross River. Whether you're a crypto exchange, NFT marketplace, or wallet, Cross River's integrated API based platform provides the payment solutions you need to grow. Cross River is powering the future of financial services. A crypto fin industry award winner and an early partner for companies like Coinbase, Cross River's tech stack supports crypto partners and enables real-time money movement for consumers. Welcome to a new world of crypto-friendly banking. Request your fiat on and off-ramp solution now at crossriver.com crypto. So outside of PFPs, yeah, like when we think about like NFT use cases where we get, it almost reminds me of like institutional enterprise blockchain where they're like, <laughs> 
you know, not to poke fun at previous guests, but they're like, you know, we're going to put Ticketmaster on the blockchain <laughs> and like tickets are going to lock all these things. Is that like, I don't know. Like, is that really going to happen? Like, where's the big unlock for NFTs? Because everyone's like, oh, well, we're just in the PFP phase and we're going to move beyond that. And it's going to be. Well, so I actually think the PFP. I think PFPs. Are, Yo, it's here to stay. I think it's here. I don't. Yeah. I think that like the poo-pooing on PFPs and like there's going to be all these other use cases that are like more powerful and more legitimate. And, you know, I'm going to pontificate ad nauseum a little bit here, but like I think it misses the plot. I think. I totally get why people would pay a million dollars for a bored ape. Yeah, it gets the people going. Because it's like the same reason why you buy any random thing to show yeah. that you're rich. Exactly. But anyway, so be that as it may, let's say this is just the first phase and the least important one. What comes next? Yeah, yeah. No, so, so first of all, I will say I do unequivocally agree that PFPs are here to stay. People... I would almost go as far to say that, like, and this may be an unpopular opinion, I think they're cooler than all the other use cases. Yeah. Then, like, oh, you know, I have a bar, and, like, every time you visit my bar, you get an NFT, and, like, <laughs> that gets you, like, a discount. And, like, that's... It's, it's like Arkham's Razor, like... It's too complicated. <laughs> Who's to be bothered? Every time I go to a conference, I get an NFT ticket and then, right. you know, that does X, Y, or Z or whatever in the future. Like, yeah, yeah. I don't care. But I buy like a $500,000 like. And then you flex to, to everyone else, And then I else, flex right? it to everybody else. Yeah. That makes way more sense to me. Yeah, yeah. Simple. Anyway, sorry. No, we, we, so here's some, some interesting stuff that we're seeing. And again, I, I don't think this stuff is, is the end state by any means. But one thing we've been seeing a trend on is kind of a different model to SaaS, like software as a service, where people are building tools. And these tools are, yeah, obviously tools around NFTs and NFT trading and stuff like that. But to gain access to these tools, it's like just token gated, right? I think there's something more around that that will become more interesting. But today, yeah, by far, like the thing that gets people going is being part of some community and that community all being really excited about it. And then you being able to flex, you know, tell the world that you are also part of this community. Right? And that's meaningful for people. But the devil's advocate of that, to play devil's advocate with myself, yeah, is it is so fleeting. Like Gucci or Louis Vuitton or any of these luxury brands mm. have existed for decades. Mm-hmm. There is nothing to say that like Azuki maybe provides a great example. Like if you were early, that's like pretty cool. If you had one like at peak, like that's a flex. Like I have a, you know, it's worth 40 ETH. The art's pretty good. Mm. The people who own it, like when I think about the people who got Azuki's, I'm like, those people are really well informed about not just NFTs, but the marketplace and crypto. They have great, you know, positions in the industry. It speaks to that gravitas, but it's fleeting, right? Because now they're worth like three ETH. Mm -hmm. So I guess the question there is, and it has less to do with like Magic Eden than it does like just the broader like PFP market is, how does a brand build up to that top and then like sustain it? Even if 
floor price goes down. Yeah. Yeah, no, I think it goes down to who are the people behind it, right? I, I do think that it has to be part of a broader strategy. Like launching the NFT, that can't be it. It has to be part of the marketing strategy for something else that you're doing or there has to be something more. And I think we will see more of that. It, at the moment, almost it's like there is too much of this let's just get something launched and, and rinse and repeat. But I think this was true back in 2017 too, right? Everyone was launching a token. It's kind of the same thing. We've seen this before. I almost feel like the story is repeating itself. And then, you know, give it some time, give it a bear market. People start to utilize this stuff for hopefully more real things. We're sort of making the bet that we think that's going to be gaming. But, you know, in many ways, we also, I'll be candid, like we also don't know. There's a lot that still has to be figured out. But we are making a, a bit of a vertical bet here that we think that's going to be gaming just purely because, number one, it, it is a huge market. Number two, there's been a lot of capital and developer in, inflow. Do you think that traditional games where there are skins and weapons and in-game items, will they all move to NFTs? Uh, I, I think it's more of a time horizon kind of question. I don't think they will all move immediately. I would segment the market into sort of, you know, indie game developers, you know, double A, triple A, right? And I think no one really on the triple A side is really aggressively trying to do this stuff today. Mm -hmm. But I do feel that they're all watching each other <laughs> mm -hmm. and watching what the double A guys are doing, watching the indie developers and, and following quite closely. And if there is a business model, economic token model on top of these games that really works and they feel as scalable and has longevity, I don't think they'd wait too long to give it a crack themselves. Here's a question for you. You're really unique because you've been at a centralized exchange, a decentralized mm. perpetual swaps trading platform, <laughs> and now an NFT platform. It's a bit of a career arc, isn't it? Yeah. It's a, it's a <laughs> Which business, like in 10 years from now or whenever... Not between those three firms, Coinbase, DYDX. And, Picking and, between and my, my children, is but, that? I know, exactly. But I'm saying like each category. And, and obviously you're biased because you, if you thought that the former would be larger, then you'd still be there. But is there more upside to starting a NFT platform than there is to starting a DEX or a centralized exchange? Competition aside, like, you know what I mean? Hmm. Or is the upside the same? I think they're all pretty big, honestly. They're all pretty big. Yeah, too. honestly. You know, we're probably slightly earlier from an NFT standpoint, right? But when things are earlier, there's, there's also more risk. So it's just mm. it's really hard to reason about which one would be bigger. I will say that there is a feeling I have with NFTs that I didn't have when I was at DYDX. And it's that this has definitely more broader mass market appeal. That's just objectively true, I think. Whereas when I was at DYDX, I, I mean, I was jazzed about perpetuals and financial products. But it was hard to tell friends about decentralized perpetual swaps. <laughs> it was really difficult. <laughs> it was hard to hire people to come and join us. It was, it was just hard, right? Because there's a niche, it's a much more of a niche audience. Obviously that business is huge and can get way bigger than it is today. And I'm really excited about what Antonio and the team are doing there. But yeah, it's definitely mass market. I feel like NFTs is is much much further ahead on that front. Yeah. I mean it, it certainly helps with the show. 
if we were just interviewing people building complex financial derivatives, that's a very <laughs> that's a very small TAM. Yeah, until about a year ago, I was you know complex financial derivatives plus institutional prime broker. Yeah, like yeah, that was basically my uh, my. What world. was it like when you were doing the Coinbase gig? Yeah, look, I mean, Coinbase is man. They're trying to build a lot of things. It's yeah. uh, it's pretty. It was pretty amazing to see at the time when I was there. I think when I was there, there were maybe around a thousand people. Mm-hmm. So uh, quite different to how it is today. But yeah, I was lucky to be on a team that I think really believed in that institutional, you know, business and narrative and. I was lucky enough to be there when the institutional bull run happened, right? This is when, you know, MicroStrategy was buying all the Bitcoin mm-hmm. and, you know, Elon was talking about Bitcoin, Dogecoin. It was amazing. It was it was really cool to see that actually happen. So, no, I think for me, I always... What was the big game changer? Was it the Elon move? Was that the big unlock for the business or was it something else? Um... It was probably both of those that I mentioned. Yeah. 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 Those and then are, the phone started ringing. Yeah. Those were the, those are really big ones. Yeah. I feel like since then, I always felt like I wanted to be on the frontier of crypto, right? Mm-hmm. That's the stuff that I think really excites me. So, you know, while there's a lot to build on the institutional prime brokerage side, there's no doubt about that. And that's absolutely going to be a massive business. I feel like, the most exciting stuff to work on in crypto is the stuff that is still being discovered. And yeah, that sort of drew me and my co-founders to get this going. But no, I mean, it was Coinbase is an amazing company. To do what they've done in 10, 12 years or however many years they've been around is is actually pretty amazing. And I have like huge respect for, for the team there. Yeah. I mean, it's crazy um, how much they've grown. I remember... I wrote a story in 2017 when they surpassed 500 employees mm. and it was like, they just doubled from 250 and yeah. 500 seemed like a ton yeah. for a crypto company at the time. Right. Right. No. I And they're, you know, big name, they're public. Yeah. I think, I think they're generally pretty good stewards. So they cop a lot of heat, unfortunately, in the industry. You think too much? I think probably too much. Yeah. Yeah. I, I do. I do think that. Because I think they have good intentions for sure. And the team wants to do right by the industry. You know, it's just easy to hound on the big guy, right? Yeah. So they're moving into NFTs. They're not moving into stocks, but like FTX, US is. Do you see, could Magic Eden, you know, move into, because, you know, we've talked to Axie Infinity. They've built out a DEX. Could, Mm. Could an NFT platform go the way that the crypto exchanges are going in? launch spot trading mm. derivatives yeah i don't i mean it's not something we think about very much but you know never say never yeah i think ultimately we want all of these products to become mass market and sure available to all consumers and yeah if we're able to do so with an nft marketplace then i think it becomes feasible to to actually expand horizontally like that but I don't think it's something we are actively thinking about now. Because probably your customers probably don't want it, maybe. Uh, hard to say. Yeah, yeah. Hard, hard to say. Hard to say. Hard to say. So we talked about products at the beginning of you coming into the office. What's on the horizon? Yeah. Uh, a few things. So 
the focus at the moment for us is just doubling down on the core. Uh, so we have two core products today. One is obviously the marketplace itself. Mm -hmm. And then secondly, it's uh, we have a product called Launchpad, which is our primary market. So doubling down on both of those things is still priority number one. Priority number two is expansion. So we're pretty excited to tackle a few different things around both category expansion. So that's specifically around games. And I think yeah. this is going to take time, different kind of mentality, different setup, different team structure, and all these things we're setting up. So who now. are you hiring to do? Is it hiring former gaming developers? Yeah. So our gaming squad right now is around four people mm -hmm. and we are actively hiring more for this team. But the squad is basically, so we have this guy, Yoon, who used to play professional League of Legends for TSM and Liquid. And he launched his own NFT collection. So he's the perfect guy to help games go to market in Web3, <laughs> right? So that's Yoon. With this other guy, Michael, who's just an absolute marketing machine. So he's going to help games from a marketing standpoint. And we just hired uh, Tony, who used to do gaming investments at Tencent. Mm -hmm. So he, he worked at Tencent for four years. He's going to be leading investments and partnerships at, at Magic Eden. And then we're looking for a couple of different folks like build out the engineering team, so a dedicated mm -hmm. engineering squad, and then also a, a GM or a head of games, right? Someone who's who has like broad-based industry experience, plus, you know, is looking to, you know, really think from first principles and build out what Web3 gaming could be. So yeah, we're putting the, the squad, the dream team together. The dream gaming squad. Yeah. What do you think is going to be the biggest priority? Like what, what do you want them to achieve by end of year? Uh, there's a few focuses here. One is... We definitely want to partner with the best games to, number one, we want to launch their NFT collections. That's a no-brainer. Number two is we actually have like a very, very robust developer-focused product and developer ecosystem. Mm. And part of what we want to do is not only have people use our first-party marketplace, which is magiceden.io, but we also want them to use our marketplace infrastructure. So if you're a game... We want you to tap into all of the buy, bid, sell functionality that you would need and have Magic Eden power your in-game marketplaces. Mm -hmm. So that's a big area of focus for us. So if we, if we can stand that up over the next you know, three to six months, we'll be, in a, we'll be in a good spot. Are you going to go to ETH? Yeah, we're, we're going multi-chain. Yeah. So the, the way we think about multi-chain is basically we've always thought of ourselves as a chain agnostic marketplace. And- we will go where the users go mm. and we'll go where the creators go, right? That's just and Are a, they leaving Solana so you have to leave? No, no, not at all. Not at all. Uh, no, nah, we love Solana. Shout out to the Solana guys. But no, realistically, I think, you know, even for games, as an example, like for games, where are developers going? You know, they'll be on probably a mix of three or four chains. Okay. Right. right? And that's what they're telling you. Yeah. Yep. So, you know, that means for us, yeah, we want to be able to support all of them. And that means... Yeah, we need to be on ethel one and we need to probably be on Polygon. You know, there's a bunch of these different chains that will, it's just the reality. We'll be in a multi-chain world. Yeah. So Magic Eden needs to support those ecosystems too. Because this is something that is actually a core, core roadmap piece, core focus for us with the money that we've just raised. If you think about when you first started this from the Magic hmm. Eden perspective, because you gatecrashed the NFT universe and it's like the Solana NFT marketplace. Mm. And now you're moving away from that. Mm. 
Are you surprised? Uh, no, not at all, actually. I think we always saw ourselves as, number one, very intentional decision to start on mm-hmm. Solana. But I really do think that if developers and users are going to be in, in other ecosystems, it's almost like if you're a you know traditional company starting in Australia, but then there's a lot of users also in, I don't know, New Zealand or <laughs> like whatever, like Singapore, you want to be there too, right? You you know, at, at some point you, you have to grow the business. You have to, you know, serve other customers, meet other use cases. And, you know, we're in a really lucky environment that like a lot of use cases are getting developed and it's actually a good thing if that's happening in a lot of different places, right? That's uh, exciting for us. So I don't think I would call it surprising from our end. I would definitely say that this was always probably the intention, but it was also very intentional that we started on Solana and, we had a lot of conviction. We still do. So I will always kind of see this as the, almost like the home. Mm. This is like the home turf for us. It's like the HQ. Yeah. If you started I, your I, company in Singapore. Yeah, exactly. Or San Francisco. Yep. I love, yep. I love that analogy. Well, sir, thank you so much for taking the time to come in. Yeah. This was so much fun. Of course. I'd like to thank you again. And ladies and gentlemen, thank you for listening. We've been joined again by our guest, Zed, co-founder and COO of Magic Eden. Where can we learn more about what you're doing? Yeah, magiceden.io is our website. And we're at Magic Eden on Twitter. So give us a shout. Give us a follow, actually. I think a lot of people might get a lot of kicks out of the person who runs our Twitter account. He's been affectionately named Magic Eden Intern. So if you want some funny content, funny memes, NFT banter, follow Magic Eden. Yeah. Well, thank you so much again for being on the show. Of course. The Scoop will be back for you again with another great guest. Have an amazing day. All opinions expressed by hosts and podcast guests are solely their own opinions and not necessarily those of the blocks. Podcast guests may have taken positions in the assets or other matters discussed in this podcast. This podcast is for informational purposes only and should not be relied upon as a basis for investment decisions. For full terms, visit theblockcrypto.com slash terms dash service.